Uh, well, good morning again. My name is Prentice Park. I, I get the privilege to be uh, the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, and I am so glad uh, that you are here with us this morning. Uh, we continue our series uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, and, and today we're on chapter 7. And if you've been around the church for a long time, chapter 7 is a chapter uh, that many people talk about, even debate about, or have these conversations about. So this morning we're going to do something a little different uh, from what we normally do. It, is What I'm going to do is we're just going to go through the, essentially the whole chapter. Uh, and so we're essentially going to go kind of verse by verse and see what Paul is talking about in relationship to, uh, to sin, to a new life, to a life that is dead now. And so, again, if you are new, if you're with us, I encourage you to listen to, to some of the other uh, sermons because these all build off of one another. So I don't necessarily have time to go into everything uh, but I'm also glad that you're here this morning as we continue, especially in a time that I talked about a little bit earlier, uh, where there's just a lot of stuff happening in our world right now. And, and I feel like, and I hate doing this, and I'm kind of sick and tired of doing this, is that every morning that I step up on a Sunday, I have to say, well, here are the things that as a community we need to be praying for. And again, this is another week where we have to be praying for and be not just praying for, but, be, but somehow find ways to act and move to be a part of transformation that's happening in this world. Uh, and for some of us, we just don't know where to start. And so my hope is that Romans chapter 7, and this whole series called The Way Forward, is, it, it helps us to understand what it looks like to be a people that moves forward. In a world that is dark, in a world that is moving backwards at times, in a world that is, uh, that is stagnant, what does it look like for us to move forward? And so this morning, as we have for the last several weeks, we continue that. Let me pray, uh, and we'll get to work. God, thank you so much that you've gathered us here. God, be with those that aren't here. Uh, be with those that have taking this three-day weekend as a, as a vacation, as a road trip, and God, may you create memories and laughter uh, for those families and rest. God, I pray for those again that are mourning, especially in Thousand Oaks, California, where there was another shooting. God, we mourn, we lament, alongside with those families. God, even in the same area, we pray for the fires that are devastating many parts of Southern California. God, would you bring solution? Would you bring rain? Would you bring people? Would you find ways to calm that down? But God, we also give thanks for the many people and we recognize the people that have sacrificed for us God, we have veterans even in this sanctuary right now, even at this church. God, we thank you for their services and their willingness to really live out the gospel in a way that says, uh, I lay down my life for you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we talk about Romans 7, and, and as we talk about 
Paul's message to us, it reminds us uh, of a little bit of a mystery that we're all plagued with even today. Uh, And it's a mystery that we've experienced even uh, as a little kid and and as we get older and and, and for the rest of our lives. There's this mystery that plagues us uh, in our own human condition. And the mystery is this, and it it kind of ends up as a question. Why do we, and maybe some of you guys can resonate with this, and I know that I can. Why do we tend to do the very things that we're not supposed to do? It's a very basic and elementary question that Paul addresses here in chapter 7. He raises this question, which we'll read in a moment, that says, In life, oftentimes, when you're given instruction." When oftentimes when you're told not to do something, the very first inclination that we have as a human is what? Is to do it. And I remember uh, even as a young child, my, my mom and my dad would always tell me uh, not to do something. And the funny thing is, it's not something that I was actually tempted to do anyways, but the very fact that she said not to do it actually tempted me to actually do it. And there's something in that human condition that we all struggle with. And Paul understands this from the very beginning of time. And and we can even look at the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. God says to Adam and Eve, you can have literally anything you want. Everything belongs to you. Take it, enjoy it. Just just this one thing. Just this one fruit. Just, Just stay away from that fruit. But everything else... It's all yours. Enjoy it. And again, from the beginning of this human condition, what does Adam and Eve do? They say, you know what? Thanks, God. And they walk directly to that one thing that God said not to partake in. And we can resonate with this because you can even think about your own lives. Oftentimes, we make decisions and we make life paths and we do things which we know deep in the depths of our souls because we're not dumb, we just make dumb decisions. We say, you know what, I know this is destructive, I know this is toxic, yet I want to do this. Why do we have a tendency to to lie? Why do we have a tendency to have a mean side? Why do we have a tendency to dislike people that are different than us? Why do we have a tendency to enjoy breaking all the rules? And if you're anything like me, that resonates with me big time. Why do we have a tendency uh, to, to have a low view of even our own selves? Why do we have our, have our, each have our own thorn in our flesh, things that we can't even control? Like addiction, depression, and anxiety. And what about the things that we can't control? Like what, why do we have a tendency towards pride and selfishness and narcissism? Oftentimes we have a tendency, our, our human condition has a trajectory, a, a bent towards doing what we're so, supposed to not do. What, doing things that we're told not to do. And, and Paul in chapter 7 has a little bit of an answer for us. And what he talks about in chapter 7 is, is the reason why we have a propensity towards doing the things that we're not supposed to do is because of the very thing that lives within us. And in the Christian tradition, in the scriptures, we call this sin. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea of sin, this Greek word amartia, literally taken out of the context of a bone arrow, of archery. 
And when someone, especially in the first century, does archery, they have a bow and arrow, they let go, and they hit the target, but they miss the target, they literally, they miss the mark. And so we talked a lot about what, it, what, what that means in our lives. There's many ways that we just miss the mark. We sin. There's this idea and this notion that from the very beginning of time that we are just, whether you want to call it plagued or whether you want to call it, we have this illness or, or, or whatever you want to call it, the Bible says in the human condition, we are all, all of humanity, we're born with this thing called sin from the very beginning of time. We have a propensity to sin. Again, we can see this from the very beginning. Adam and Eve was a perfect example. And in chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, Paul kind of explains a little bit more about that. But he says, okay, we have to start at the beginning. And so chapter 7, verse 1 through 3 says this. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So when he's writing this, he's saying, I'm speaking to the Jewish people, okay? Because remember, there's controversy between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians because uh, back in uh, 49 AD, they were, the Jewish Christians were expelled from Rome, right? And then 10 years later, they came back and there's a lot of tension. And so now Paul is trying to subside that tension and he's saying, do you not know intentionally brothers and sisters? Because Paul himself was a Jew. He says, he says, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. I'm speaking to those that know the Torah, that have studied in the synagogues, that know God's law, i.e. what we would deem as uh, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it. I'm speaking to those who know that. And Paul says that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. Verse 3. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she has called him an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress uh, if she marries another man. If she marries another man. What Paul is saying is, all right, I'm talking to an audience that knows the law. And so for us to understand where this sin comes from and what we do with sin, uh, let's start from the very beginning. The very beginning is this. The question is, what are you bound to? So what we have to understand is many of us, they understand that they are bound to some kind, uh, a way of impurity. They're, they're bound to a sense of being born imperfect and making mistakes. Uh, again, a propensity to sin. And Paul says the very first question is, where we start is, we have to understand where our starting point is. And so Paul is saying, let me speak into a language that you will all understand because you guys are all good Jews, you guys all understand the Torah, you guys all have been to the synagogues and know what the law is regarding marriage. So he says, for example, let's start this way. If a man and woman, if they're married, they're bound together. And if the woman, especially at this time, if the woman leaves a man other than the reason of death of her husband, she is considered an adulterer. And the penalty for adultery, especially from a woman committing adultery to a man, is death. But what Paul is saying, but if the husband dies, 
then you are no longer bound to this marriage. And so in verse 4, he continues, and you'll, you'll see what he, Paul's talking about. He says, so, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to one another, to, to him who, has, uh, who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. He says the starting point of understanding why we sin is first we have to ask a question before that is what are we bound to? Uh, I know that we all have a propensity to sin, to make mistakes, to make bad decisions, but we have to know the starting ground. The starting ground is this, that you are actually made new in Christ, uh, that this old life you are not bound to anymore. It is put to death. Just like in a marriage, if a husband were to die, then you are no longer bound to that. You're bound to a new life where you can start over, where you can remarry and not be considered an adulterer, which would put you to death. This was a radical statement, especially in a very patriarchal culture. And we won't get into this, but I believe that Paul and the rest of the Bible is very pro-women. Uh, but but that, that's a whole different sermon in itself. The message that Paul is saying is as you deal with sin, and he's going to even talk about his own story, as we try to understand this question of why, does, why do humans have this propensity to sin, the starting point is for us to understand that first and foremost, that we are made new. We are a new creation in Christ. And he uses this example in saying, you are no longer bound to the law. You are no longer bound to the law. You are no, ba- no longer bound to your old ways, your old habits, your way of life. There is actually a way out. See, some of us, we have a hard time believing when we examine uh, our own habits and our own self-destructive attitudes and the way we treat people, the way we, that we view God. The first thing that Paul is saying is, is this. There is a way out. This is not the end of your story. That there is space for transformation. There is room for you to take a U-turn, to change your ways, to, 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 to not, though you may have the propensity to sin, but not to always go there. There actually, believe it or not, there is a way. There is a way, just like this example, what Paul is saying is like, you don't have to live in this old life. You have an opportunity through Christ to do things differently. You are made new. You have a new life in Christ. The biggest message that Paul has been saying over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your mistakes. It doesn't even matter your good deeds. It doesn't matter the sins you've already committed. You, Paul says, have been made new through Christ. And this is a starting point for all of us. And this is a starting point that's offered to you today. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're checking out faith for the first time, whether this is your first day at church ever or in a long time, The message that Paul is saying is Christ is offering you new life. And may we receive and live into that even starting today because our past is not held against us. Because our mistakes are not counted towards us. 
because of the hopelessness that we, might, that we might have in our own selves because we believe we can't get outside of this propensity to sin. Maybe it's a specific sin. Maybe it's a way we hurt people or treat people. What Paul is saying, that all of that, it does not matter. There is a way out of that, and that's through Christ experiencing a new life. And that life is offered to all of us today. Today. Again, whether, you, whether you're a Christian, long-time Christian, or, or brand new, today, may, my hope every single Sunday is that Sunday is not just a day where we just show up, check off uh, you know, the box by saying, we went to church, we sang some songs, we listened to a sermon, we didn't fall asleep, good job, we had a great Sunday, see you next week. My hope is that Sundays, especially every single day, is that you walk in and you truly believe that transformation is possible. And my hope, especially for those of us sitting in your pews right now, believing that transformation is so far away, I'm here to tell you that Paul is saying it's not far away. It's right here waiting for you. Will you just receive it? Will you uh, unbind yourself to this law that God has made at the beginning but, but, but created a new covenant where Paul is saying, okay, I leave that life. It's hard to leave that life. This was my life. This is what I'm used to. This is what I grew up with. This is what I've been taught. This is what I know. And for some of us, that is us. It may not be the Torah. It may not be the Pentateuch. But there's things that we have been ingrained in us that we feel like it's just in us and there's no hope. And Paul is saying it doesn't matter what that is. There's opportunity for you to live a new life. Salvation begins today. We often talk about this idea of salvation where it's this place you go after you die. And yes, I do believe as followers of Christ, we have this, uh, this joy and enthusiasm that there will be life after life. I believe that. And there's joy in that. There's hope in that. But what we have to understand is when, 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 the, when the Bible talks about being saved and salvation the word saved is always this continuous participle verb, okay? So that's kind of nerdy. All that is saying is that it's a constant action. It's happening right now. It's not something that is complete. So the tense isn't a middle perfect. So it's not complete. It's, an, it's a participle that is happening right now. We're consistently, every single day, being saved. And so what Paul is saying, you don't have to live in this old life. There is space for transformation. And as he continues, he reflects a little bit about his own life. Now, I have to tell you right now that I truly believe that as we move forward, that Paul is reflecting on his own life. There's, there, for centuries, there's been debate over this chapter and over these few verses, but but here's where I'm going to go with this, that Paul is reflecting on his old, old life. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. So Paul's like, let me tell you something about my experience. What held me down? I, I don't know what your story is. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's an unrepentant heart. Paul's essentially saying, I don't know what your story is and what's holding you back from experiencing this new life, but let me tell you about mine. 
And it's so ironic coming from a Jewish person. He says, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. Verse six, it says this, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new, uh, a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, what Paul is wrestling with here and what he has always wrestled with, what he's saying is legalism. He said, ironically enough, I don't know what your issues are, but my issues actually came from the law. And you have to understand this context. He's talking to Jewish Christians. He says, dear brothers and sisters, ones who are familiar with the law, we have to assume that he's talking to Jews. And he's saying, for those of you, I'm speaking to you, that know the law, that are Jewish, that claim the Torah, let me just say this to you. What held me back was actually the very thing that you think brings life. The law. The law is actually what aroused uh, sinful passions within me. It's that inclination of sin. What was supposed to bring me life actually brought me death, is what Paul is saying. And then, as we continue reading, he goes on uh, into a little bit of a dialogue with himself. All right, I, I mean, I imagine maybe this is just my nerdiness in me. I'm imagining this dialogue. He's kind of talking to himself. Uh, but what he's saying is, is this He says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? So basically, uh, in the very first verses, He's saying, oh man, we, we, are, a, we are a new creation. We have a new life. The problem is we have this propensity to sin. My problem, my propensity to sin, I don't know what your issue is, but my issue was the law in itself. That's pretty ironic. And, and then he gets to verse 7 and he says, uh, okay, look, my Jewish friends, I, I know what you're going to ask. Let me just answer that preemptively. You're essentially going to ask, well, Paul, what are you talking about? Does that mean the law is bad? If the law is the reason why you sinned and had sinful arousals in your soul, is the law bad? And Paul says, okay, let me answer that for you. Is the law sinful? And he says, certainly not. Of course not. Nevertheless, I would not have known, <coughs> excuse me, I would have not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. <clears throat> what he's saying is this. He says, look. You're going to ask me if the law is bad because the law was the very thing that made me sin. And my response to you is that, of course not. The law is actually a good thing. So I don't want you leaving here saying, well, Pastor Prentice says that the Old Testament and the Torah was bad. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul is saying either. What Paul is saying in his old experience with the law is that, you know what? It was actually meant to be a good thing. It was meant to show me a little bit of a metric if I was on a right track, a right pathway to holiness and righteousness and really oneness with God, living a beautiful life. 
Before the law, it, was, it may have been just kind of no holds barred, but, but because of the law, because of the commandments, uh, I know the difference between right and wrong. But Paul was wrestling with the very things that we wrestle with, that mysterious plague of the human condition of the question, why do we always do what we're not supposed to do? Because Paul says, but I was so stuck in doing all the right things. For example, when it says, do not covet, guess what I did, my friends? I coveted. When the law says, thou shalt not covet, or you shall not covet, I was so stuck on not coveting that my response to that from trying so hard was actually coveting. That's what I did. And what Paul is saying is, is that's what I wrestled with. That's what I needed to put to death as I continue seeking out my faith in Christ. And so the question here for you and for this morning for myself is every day as we seek transformation, what are the things that you need to put to death? What are the things that you need to put to death? For Paul, it was this adherence to the, to the law, so much so that this adherence to the law wasn't just a thing that brought life, as a matter of fact, it brought death. And so the question for all of us this morning is, what is it that you need to put to death? What is it that's in our souls that drive us to this propensity to sin, but not just this ambiguous sin, but what are the very things that sin... Uh, since trajectory for us is to pursue, and I don't know what that is for us, but there's oftentimes things that we need to put to death because death, it's only through death that gives birth to something new. Paul is saying is you can't hold on to both. Paul is saying we have this new, remember verse 1 and 3, we have this new identity in Christ. We have this new identity in Christ, and yet we hold on to the things that hold us back because of our propensity to sin. And what Paul is saying, you don't have to. Through the power of Christ, you can completely walk over and live in this new creation. But first, before that new life is birthed within us, what is it that needs to be put to death? What do we recognize as the things that are tearing us apart, that are tearing up your relationships, that are pulling you back from having a deeper faith, what are those things? And what Paul's encouragement here is beautiful, and it's this, it's you can actually have a different life. And you don't have to do it alone. In fact, you can't do it alone. Christ has done that for you on the cross. All you have to do is live into this. Is to live into this. And yet we get to this popular verse. If you've, again, if you've been around the church, you, you've probably read this before. It says, we know that the law is spiritual. So the law, don't get me wrong, Jewish readers. The, the law is good. The law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. He's talking about, he's reflecting on his past life. Sold, that word is in the, uh, uh, the past tense. I was sold, it's in the uh, complete, completed verb. He says, I was sold as a slave to sin. 
In verse 15, it says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, to, what I, hate I do. And if I do uh, what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself. So verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Have we ever wrestled with this? Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. And then verse 20, he kind of sums up what he just talked about. He says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So again, Paul's continuing his wrestling, and I think this we can all resonate with. That all the good things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. But all the bad things I know I'm not supposed to do, uh, I do do. Okay, insert joke there. Why is it that happens? And Paul's explanation is this. It's not you. It's actually the sin that lives within you. Because what you have to understand is that there's this key word soul, peperomenos. It's in the middle perfect tense. That's all nerdy Greek. But all you have to understand is it's a completed Verb. It means that action has already happened. You have already be uh, you you have already been sold into sin. And, and what Paul is saying in chapter six and in chapter eight that though you have been sold into sin, you have been given new life. Okay, there's no way that Paul is saying that you're living two different lives. Okay, that he would be completely contradicting himself. And so what we have to understand is that this word is a completed verb, past tense, saying you were once sold into uh, slave to sin, but now you have new life. So therefore, what we have to understand is Paul's not wrestling with two identities, okay? We often think that Paul is saying, oh my gosh, I want to do this, but I do this, but I don't want to do this, but I do it. Like, ah, what's wrong with me? And that's not what Paul is talking about, especially in verse 20 when he reiterates what he says. He says, now if I do not do what I do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. It is not what I do. And so what Paul is understanding here and sharing with us is this word I. For the first time he says, it is not I. And it's this word ego, which we get the word ego from. And and he doesn't talk about this word in the other verses. He says, uh, it is not I, ego. It is not I that does it. Now, what we have to understand about this word ego is it denotes a sense of identity of self. And so what Paul is saying, this is so important for, so important for us to understand is that when I sin, when I have the trajectory and the propensity to do what is wrong, it is no longer I, it is not my identity. I am not a sinner. What I do is I sin. There's a, there's, there's a huge difference here. Uh, I am not a sinner because I'm no longer in that identity. I want you guys to understand this. I am born new. I am a new creation in Christ. I've completely abandoned that old law, that old way of life is what Paul is saying. He's saying, just like a marriage in the Old Testament, when you leave the husband, when the husband dies, you are completely 
not in that marriage anymore. You are completely free to remarry. And so what Paul is saying, using that example, is that you are no longer a sinner. That is no longer your identity. Your identity is you're made new in Christ, but yet there's this idea of the already but not yet. Okay, we all live this until the perfection comes, until Christ comes back to reign on this earth and this new heaven, new earth. We still live in this already, but not yet. There's this uh, scholar, his name's N.T. Wright, talks about this all the time. Already, but not yet. We're already saved. We're already uh, living this life of faith. We're already living into the perfection that has come with the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yet, that part of sin still lives in us that we battle with. And this is Paul saying, I battle with it. And yet, in the midst of our battles, what we have to understand is, this is still an old life. And here's what the important part is. And I love what, uh, what Brene Brown says, and I forget if I put it up there. But there's this author named Brene Brown. She says, the way that she describes it is a difference between guilt and shame. And I have to really drive this home. The reason why this understanding of ego is important is that this is the difference between us understanding ourselves with guilt or understanding ourselves with shame. Brene Brown continues and she says, guilt says what I did was stupid. Shame says I am stupid. Guilt says uh, I didn't make that a good choice. Shame says, it's because I'm a bad person. See, guilt can actually be good. And even Paul talks about how uh, the law actually did that for him because it leads us into not being desensitized. Guilt can be good. It leads us to repentance. It leads us to change. It leads us to, for- to seek forgiveness. Shame, on the other hand, is the opposite. It can lead us into addiction, to depression, to to eating disorders, to violence. Their distant cousins are so close, but depending on the way that we view ourselves in light of this scripture, it's either we're going to experience guilt or we're going to experience shame. Sin is something that we do because it's something that has plagued us, but we're on the trajectory to perfection, but it's not who we are. It's not who we are. And that's so important for us to truly grasp and understand because in our world, we are just plagued with shame. We are plagued with shame that leads us into living a destructive life uh, with our neighbors, with our neighborhood, with our community, with our own selves, with God. And yet God is saying, I, that is not who you are. You have to understand that's not who you are. It's just something that you do. That's something that needs to be worked on. It's the sin that's within you coming alive. But there's hope. You know, and I love what Paul says at the end of chapter 7. He says, uh, this is oh wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? This is verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me then? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of the sin. What's interesting here is Paul doesn't leave chapter seven on a a happily ever after. 
Like, so therefore, Christ is with you, and you're going to be perfect, you're never going to make a mistake, because Jesus is with you, have a good life, see you later. No, Paul says, in this life, in this physical life, my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, in my mind, like, I'm going to worship God, my life is for God, I'm going to give my life to God, and yet, oftentimes, in my flesh, I can become a slave to the law of sin. See, if anyone has ever told you that once you became a Christian, that all life is good, you will forever make good decisions, nothing bad will happen to you, you've been uh, sold a false religion. And and what's encouraging slash discouraging from Paul's life is, you know what, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to live in a perfect life because sin that resides within us. And I love Paul when he writes, when he talks about resides or lives in us, he literally uses the word oikos. And oikos means home, like, like a family, not just a house. Like for us in English, I think there's a difference between your house and your home. House is like literally the, the structure that you live in. Home is where you call, where your heart is at, like where your family is at, where your life is at. And Paul uses the word oikos, home. He says, in our hearts is a oikos, is a home where sin dwells. But what we have to understand is that that is not you. That is not you. And for, some, for so many of us, we have to understand and believe that and latch on to that, that that is not who you are. Who you are is you belong to Christ. You are a new creation. And because of that, you have hope of transformation. You don't have to live this way. And oftentimes people will say, well then, uh, should we not take any responsibility? Should we just shirk off sin? Saying, you know what? The devil made me do it. You guys ever hear that? Oh, sin made me do it. It's not me. That's not what Paul is saying either. We have to take full responsibility of our actions. As a matter of fact, there's more responsibility in us as followers of Christ to say, today I choose to live as a new created person. Today I choose to latch on to the life that God has given me, not this old life. I'm going to be very intentional to live into my new creation. Latching on to God for help. Because in order for me to move away from this, from this sin that I, that I have this propensity towards, I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. I need Christ. So every day we wake up wanting to be saved. Right? This whole idea of this continuous idea of being saved. God, save me today. And, and you can even name it. I would encourage you to name it every morning. God, here's my propensity. Here's what I gravitate towards. Here are the very things that I know is wrong and I don't want to do, but I do it. God, will you help me? You're the only way I can be sustained. And the joy and the hope that in the transformation comes from a space for us to say, this isn't me. The moment that we say, I am stupid rather than I've done something stupid is the moment that we go into a deep and dark place that A, is destructive to your own life and B, is not true. It's not true. So as I, as I, I'm going to invite the worship team back up and I want us to be able to respond. What are the things that we need to put to death? What are the very things that we keep lashing onto, even though it's not our identity?
We get mistaken that it is. It's, we get mistaken saying, oh, I am a liar. I am a wretched person. What Paul even says, I am a prideful person. I am a criminal for those, you know, I, I am whatever it is. And Paul's saying, that's not what you are. And if you keep believing that's what you are, you're forgetting whose you are. You belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, you can experience, you have new life. So where do you need that new life? Where do you need to to let go? What are those habits? What are those instructive behaviors? Whatever it is, will you give it to Christ this morning? And will you live into your new identity that's been given to us, that is given to us every single day of our lives? Because every day of our lives, we are being saved. this, whatever this is for you. But know that we live in the already but not yet. We're not, we're not there. We're not, our bodies are not perfect. Our minds are not perfect. Our actions and our behavior are not perfect yet. But in the meantime, may we latch on to Christ. The identity that's been given to us. The power that's been given to us the transformation and the hope that's been given to us so that we may be able to live a life that pushes away this propensity to sin. Let's pray, God, thank you that you've given us new life, that you've given us a way out of an old life that oftentimes tends to hold us back. God, whatever those things are that are that's holding us back, may we cling to what is more powerful, more beautiful, which is you. God, sometimes we feel weak and we feel powerless to do that, and that is true. But the reality is that you intervene you give us a strength that is needed to, to, to live in this to live into this new creation not to be bound by our own habits and by our own sins we thank you for your transformation your continuous transformation in our lives that you receive us no matter no matter what many of us we need to hear that this morning because we live in shame we claim to the, to the unhealthy behaviors and, and actions that we've done. And may we hear you loud and clear by saying that is not who we are. We are made new as sons and daughters of you. In your name we pray. Amen.